Good morning again. It is great to be in the Lord's house. And so, um, you know, get your Bibles out and turn to 1 Peter, 1 Peter, the fourth chapter. And um, that's where I'll start this morning. I'll read um, a fair little bit from Ephesians, the fifth chapter, and then um, several other places this morning. So I just want to start this morning asking a couple questions. One, um, do you have the perfect family? Do you have the family where there's never a harsh word spoken, never a disagreement, where love flourishes, where flowers are always on the table? That's just perfect home. Well, if you do, just feel free to volunteer and come on up here and you can um, handle this morning's message because um, we probably need to um, get advice from you. The reality is, folks, um, most families, there's disagreements, there's arguments um, that seem to tear down the very home that you want to build up. And so th this is kind of our, our family month, July. We normally do our family activities, and I just want to take advantage of that. Um, each month in July, we're going to um, go to God's Word because I believe that God has a perfect formula for creating the perfect home. And so we just want to talk about that this month. And so... Um, Today we're going to talk about laying some of the basic foundations and what is the, the, the number one um, rule in, in, in that home. And so let's start with um, 1 Peter, the fourth chapter, beginning down at verse 7. It says, the end of all things is near. Now, I know when you read that statement, um, some people say, does that mean the world's getting ready to end? I don't know, folks. But um, when he writes this, he says, the end of all things is near. And I think he's just trying to tell us that it's that important. He says, how would you live if you knew that the end was near? So he says, you ought to live as though the end is near because you don't know when the end is going to come. So live as though the end was near. He says, therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of the grace of God's grace in his various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Father, we just thank you for those words. And Father, I just pray that um, today and, and each day um, in July as we just open your word and talk about family, that, that Father, we won't tune you out. That Father, we'll realize that these are important aspects um, of life. And that Father, you've given us the, um, the, the, the blueprint. You've given us um, a guide to, to, to deal with um, the issues of life. And just help us to take that serious. Father, help us to um, be all that you've called us to be so that we can find the joy and the peace that you desire to, to, to impart into our lives. So, Father, that you would have the opportunity to bless our homes in a special way. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, um, Art Linkletter years ago, years ago um, did a show, and it was called Kids Say the Darndest Thing. And as I thought about this morning, um, I went back and started um, looking up and for, for some of the, and I found a list of, of several categories. And one of the categories was um, about um, what children believed about um, love and marriage and family. And so 
the, the first couple that were asked the question about love, you know, and so Kenny 8, 7 says this, it gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I'm just a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. And as they get older, they get smarter. And so Diana at 10 says, I'm not rushing into love. I'm finding the fourth grade hard enough. Ava said, one thing you should know is how to write a check. Because even if you have tons of love, there's still going to be lots of bills. And Manuel, age 8, said, I think you get a shot with an error or something. But after the rest, after that, it's not supposed to be painful. You know, and so, and Derek, he was asked, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? I, I love this one. He says, you guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. <laughs> Laura, age eight, was asked, what do you think your mom and dad have in common? They don't want no more kids. <laughs> and, and Ricky, age seven, was asked the following question. He says, what would you suggest to make a marriage work? He says, tell your wife she looks very pretty, even if she looks like a truck. <laughs> and I thought about those. I, kids got it figured out, folks. I mean, that, that says a lot about love and marriage. It's not easy. It can be pretty complicated, but it's not impossible. It just takes effort. It takes effort, and, and that's what they tell us there. And, you know, and, and so what one... In that, that, that list, I looked up prayer, and, and, and Nan said this. She says, God, I bet you it's very hard for you to love everybody in the whole world. There's only four people in my family, and I can't do it. <laughs> you, you know, that's the reality of marriage. That's the reality of family sometimes, folks. Sometimes there may be only two in the family, and it's hard. And then there's three and four and five, and it gets harder. And it, it, it seems to be so complicated, but I believe, folks, that um, it happens. In our church, I mean, we literally have a couple in our church that's celebrating their first week of marriage. We have another couple in the church celebrating their 50th year of marriage. And so it doesn't matter where you fall in that spectrum. The reality is um, it takes work. It takes effort, and, and, and it, it's, it's a job sometimes, but I think in our heart, particularly when we first get married, I mean, that we, we hold that dream that our home will be a place where, where love and honor and respect exist, and our home will be a, a shelter of protection against the world that sometimes can be cruel and unfair. That's what we desire, and, and, and we want that kind of home, and we want to know how can we make our home be that place where those things exist, and how do we make our home safe, and how do we create that kind of family? Well, I believe the Word of God tells us how. And so I, I just believe we've got to start at the foundation, um, the, the, the foundation of all of it. And in Ephesians, um, the, the, the fifth chapter, it says this. Because this, I believe, folks, above all things is the place that we have to start. Be imitators of God and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Folks, it starts with God. It starts with God in our personal lives. It starts with life. We learn by imitation. And the truth is children learn what their parents teach them. Even the things the parents didn't mean to teach them. I mean, that's the reality of it. And, and look, when parents resolve their problems by yelling and hollering, you know how kids resolve their problems? Mm -hmm. 
And, and when kids see abuse, whether it's physical or, or verbal in a home, you know how would they tend to grow up to be? People that, yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, we learn by imitation. We learn by what we witness. But God says that's not the way it's supposed to be. God says, I, I don't want it to be, I, I don't want you to be harsh. I don't want you to be cruel. I don't want you to be abusive to people around you. I want you to live a life of love, a life of honor and respect. And that's not the way he wants us just to live on Sunday mornings while we're at church. <laughs> and that's not just the way that he wants you to treat people in your workplace. It's the way he expects us to live each and every day. It's, it, 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 it's a life lesson. It's a life principle. And goodness forbid that in our homes it's not the way we live. But sometimes in our homes it's the last place we live the way God has called us to live. Whenever the love of Christ um, and when we show that love of Christ to, to, to our husband and our wives and our children and, and, and our parents, do we realize that we are offering we are offering a fragrant offering to God himself. That's what he says. He says, when we display love to others, he says, God is pleased. God is pleased, and, and he's pleased because it says, I believe God is pleased because he says, they've understood my priorities. They've understood what's most important. They've understood the, the reason. You know, John writes, he says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So the question becomes, how do we love? How did he love us? I, I mean, how does that take place? And love takes place because God took the first step. God took the first step, and in John, the fourth chapter, it says, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You know, and then in the Romans, the fifth chapter, it says, When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. God loved us before we did anything to deserve love. God loved us when we were unlovable. God loved us when we weren't all that attractive. God loved us before we loved Him. So what does that teach us about our lives and the way we live life and our families? You know, it teaches us what we've talked about for the last month. It begins with me, not they. You know, and I, that was not the original connection when, when I started working on family stuff. But again, I just jumped off the page when I got to this point that, again, it's the same message. So much that we want to, as soon as they fix the problem. No, it begins with me. It begins with we. It begins with us. It begins in our lives. You know, in, in 1 Corinthians, I read um, this chapter Friday night, and it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have the faith that can move a mountain, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all that I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. And the end of that chapter, it says, And these three shall remain, but it says, But love is the key. Love is the key, folks. Paul was declaring that love had to start with him. 
not somebody else. As far as God was concerned, love has to start with us because love started with him. He loved us in spite of who we are. And if we're going to have love in our families, it's got to start with me. It's got to start with us. Because if you wait, if you wait till your spouse, if you wait till your kids, if you wait till whoever it is deserves love from us, you may have a pretty long wait. He reminds us, you know, Dr. Bernie Siegel um, wrote a book called Prescription from, for, for Living. And in the book, he tells of a young lady that um, got, got breast cancer and found out she had cancer. And, and she had a real strained relationship with her parents, particularly her mother. And um, she came from an abusive, alcoholic um, family. And, and so it just wasn't really a good situation. But when she found out, she, she made the decision that she was going to love her mom in spite of all of it. That, you know, the time had come that it was time to... And so as the months progressed, at one point in the process, she had to go through several months of, of, of treatment. And so the mom decided that she was going to move in to help out, and, and the daughter let her. And so um, every morning, the, 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 the younger lady was still going to work, and so she'd get up and go to work, and every morning on the way out, she'd say, Mom, I love you. Mom never responded. Three months, the mom stayed with her every morning. She said, Mom, I love you. And you go, well, one day um, she was running late for work, and she was in a rush, and you know, it was just one of the mornings, and she ran out the house to get in the car to go to work, and the mama ran to the door and opened the door and says, Hey, hey, you forgot something. She says, What? She says, You forgot to tell me you love me. And she says, That was the moment that she went back to the door and hugged her mama, and they cried, and healing began. You know, folks, the simple things in life, God tells us that we're to love one another. Sadly, often it takes a tragedy. Don't wait for a tragedy. God loved us by finding a way to cover our sins. This is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us first and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. <laughs> Atoning. What, what does the word atoning mean? Literally, if, if, if the simplest step, it means to cover. It means to cover. And if you go back to the Old Testament, in the Old Testament day, the high priest once a year would, would make atonement for the sins of the people. He'd go into the Holy of Holies, and the Ark of the Covenant sat there, and there was a covering on the Ark of the Covenant. It was called the mercy seat. And, but, but what he'd literally do, he'd take the sacrifice that was given for, for the sins of the people that year. He'd go into the Holy of the Holies, and he would sprinkle blood on, on, on the, the, the altar, on the, the, the cover covering the sins of the people. And, and what it represented is that from that moment on, when that was done, that the sins of the past year, God would no longer look at those sins. They were gone. They were gone forever. And John tells us that God loved us by sending his son, Jesus Christ, as an atoning sacrifice. He was declaring that when we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, when, when we accept that we're sinners in need of forgiveness, when, when we come to Him and repent of our sins and, and seek forgiveness and accept Jesus as Lord and Master of our life, when we follow Jesus' example in baptism, and, and, and He says at that point, He says our sins are covered. And God never again looks on those sins. They're gone. 
they're gone. And he says, Peter tells that we get the chance as God's children to continue that process. He says, as, as husbands and wives, as parents, he says, we get, we get the chance to do that for others. He says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. He says, if you want to show the kind of love that God showed to you, you want to show it to others, he says, that's what you've got to do. You've got to figure out how to cover the multitude of sins that's in their life. You know, and Proverbs says it a little different. It says, whoever would foster love covers over an offense. So what he's saying is, he says, in our lives, in our families, he says, we have to find a way to cover the things up that those that are in our lives do that aggravate us and frustrate us and, and just, you know, we don't like. You know, that's what he's saying. And, you know, and so Grady Nutt, a, a, a great professor from, from years past, he told the story of one Sunday after church, he had been invited, him and his wife had been invited to, to a couple's home for, for Sunday lunch. And they went over to eat lunch that day, and when they got there, the, the wife was nervous as a cat. She just wanted to make sure everything was fine, and they had a couple kids, and they'd already schooled the kids. Look, the preacher and the wife coming over, be on your best behavior. And they said, she, no more, he, Grady said, no more had they said the prayer and blessed the food that the little seven-year-old girl spilt her, her tea on the table, and it poured over. And he said, you could look, and the mama instantly was frustrated and was debating on what do I do now, how do I respond to this? And before the mom could do anything, the dad reached over and knocked his glass over and winked at his, at his daughter. He said everybody at the table started laughing. The little girl smiled back at daddy and um, nodded her head. See, she understood that her daddy covered her sin, that, that he figured out a way to join in so that she didn't have to deal with the embarrassment that was getting ready to happen. Folks, that's what God does for us. That's what God does for us, and that's what God teaches us that we need to do for others. And for whatever reason, sometimes within our families, we seem to think that that's the hardest thing to do. We'll do it for somebody at work, but no, not in our own families. You know? And so, you know, Isaiah in the 53rd chapter, it says, Jesus did that. He says, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. That's what God, that's what God prays that we as his children would learn to do for others. So how do you know? How do you know if you've covered up the sins of others? You know, again, Peter says, that we know when we do what we're told. And Peter says it this way. He says, you offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of, the, of God's grace. And it's, he says, what God has given to you, he says, by whatever means he gives to you, he says, you should demonstrate that to others, particularly those within your family. And so, you know, he says, you've got to figure out a way in your family and in your relationships and your lives to, to minister to them. And the key phrase is without grumbling. And look, sometimes grumbling is not a noise. Sometimes it's that look out the corner of your eye. You know, I, but he says, no, he says, you do it without grumbling. And yet, 
And, and a man named Mike um, shared of an experience in his life that, that I think summed it up. Mike, Mike, when he was a young man, he wrote this later in his life, but as a young man, he... he he had a had a brother, and his brother just infuriated him, and he just he, he just had a hard time getting along with his brother, and he was resentful of his brother, and and it was simply because he liked keeping things neat, and his brother was a pig, you know, and some of us have had one of those. I mean, you know, and and it wasn't that his brother was mean; it just and and, and so you know, he 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 liked to keep all the stuff in his room neat and straight, and his brother left clothes on the floor, and and so finally he had had it. So finally he'd had it, so he, Mike was a smart young man. Mike went to his youth minister. Mike went to his youth minister and says, hey, tell me what, what, what I need to do. And, and he, he was just spilling his guts, and the youth minister said, let me ask you a couple questions. He says, are you a Christian? And Mike said, well, yeah, you, you know I'm a Christian. He said, okay. And he says, do you realize what God's Word says, what the Bible says? It says that you should love your brother." Well, yeah, yeah, I understand. I got that. And he says, so how can you show your brother that you love him? Mike said, I really don't know. I never thought about it. He said, I don't have a clue. He says, how, you know, he says, so he says, what annoys you most about your brother? And he says, well, it's the fact that he leaves his clothes thrown over the floor. And he said, he won't pick them up. So the youth minister says, it's great, great. He says, well, here, here's how you show your brother love. You pick up his clothes every day and put them up. And Mike said, no, no. He said, no, that's not what I... He said, no, no. He says, that's how you show love. He said, what else annoys you about your brother? He said, well, he won't ever make his bed. He says, well, good. He says, you get up every morning and make his bed. And you know, Mike was not happy when he left his student minister's office. But he said, the more he thought about it, he realized that that was right. That that is what he had been taught. And if he was a Christian, then he needed to show his brother. But he said, it won't be bad. He says, I'll do it for a little while. And he says, it won't take long. He'll get the hint, and then he'll start doing it, and it'll be all okay. And and so, and I just, I chuckled. He said, the next Sunday, he went back and told his youth, he said, this isn't working. He said, I've been doing it all week. And he says, no fruit's happening here. He said, my brother hadn't figured out anything. And and, and the youth minister, I'm telling you, he, he was a smart guy. And he simply asked him this. He says, well, how long do I have to do it? And the youth minister says, well, it's really simple, son. He says, how long will he be your brother? <laughs> and I thought about marriages. And I thought about husbands and wives. And sadly, in our society, when we get asked the question, how long will he be our brother? The answer is, till I divorce him. But that's not God's answer. God says, you keep loving him. <laughs> you keep loving him because what the youth minister told the young man was, he said, it's not about changing his behavior. It's about changing your attitude toward your brother. And often in families, it's not about changing your spouse. It's about changing your attitude about how you're going to treat your spouse. It's about loving them in all things. You know, he figured out that love covers a multitude of sins. You know, God calls us to do the same because it's what God has done for us. Let me close with another story. I, there's a 
a counselor by the name of Bill Gothard, and um, he, he's, he, he speaks on a lot of circuits at, at um, conferences and stuff, and he told um, uh, about a, a young man that had came to him when he was um, actually teaching in, in seminary, and he said the, the, the young man came to him and said, man, he said, I've got an anger problem. He said, I, I just get angry and frustrated about everything. And so he says, okay. So he started working with the man. He worked with the, the young man for three years, <laughs> for three years while he was in school. And he said at the end of three years, he said he didn't think he had accomplished anything. He said the man was still just frustrated and angry. And so finally he says, look, he says, why don't next week, he says, why don't you bring your whole family? You know, he says, maybe, maybe I, 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 he said, maybe bring your whole family. Maybe together we can, we can figure out some of the issues that you're dealing with. And, and Bill said when the family came in and came, he said it was amazing. He said in all of his career of counseling, he'd never seen a family. He said this was a Christian family. He said that was as argumentative. He said from the second they walked in his office, he said everybody in the family was yay, yay, yay. And he said, he said holy cow. He says, here's the problem. <laughs> it's not just, it, it's the whole bunch. And he said, he didn't know what to do. He said he had never seen a family. So he finally said, look, he said, let's go down to the conference room. And he said he had a big round table in the conference room. And he said, let's all go sit around the con." And he says, he wasn't sure what to do. He said he really didn't. So he says he was stalling for time, if, if the truth be known. So he put them all around the table, and, and he gave them some, some pieces of paper. And he says, look, he says, fill out these pieces of paper. I'll be back in a second. He says, he says, I, I, I want you to list on your paper what it would take for you, for you to have a successful family. He says, list that. He says, then, then I want you to list the last several times you got angry. He says, then I want you to list um, the rights you feel you have as members of the family. And so he handed out the paper, and he, he walked out the room, and he went down the hall, and, and he prayed. And, and he said, his, the, you know, he said, left them. He says, he came back in, and he, he started looking at the papers. And as he looked at the papers, he realized what the problem was. <laughs> and, and he told the, the family, he says, look, he says, when God saved us, God gave up his rights to save us. He, he gave up his right as God and became a mortal man and shed his life so that you could have life. He says, the problem y'all have isn't an anger problem. The problem y'all have is a right problem. You know, he, he says, that, that's the issue. And so he asked the family, he says, do you want to be like Christ? And they were a Christian family, and they said, yeah. He says, well, that's what we need to do. And he says, but we don't know how. So, so he simply said, look, he says, everything that's on your list, he said, it's all about rights. And he says, the mother, you say that you have a right to demand that your kids pick up the clothes. And the father, you say that you have the right to demand that there be hot food on the table when you come home. And the kids, you all say that you have the right to privacy and respect. All of you have rights. And he says, so here's what we're going to do. He says, number one, he says, um, we're going to transfer all of those rights. Because he says, those are valid. But he says, we're going to transfer all of those rights to God. And we're going to let God have those rights. And you no longer have those rights. And he says, then you're going to have to fulfill your responsibility because you have no right until you earn that right. 
And he said, then we're going to give up those rights and give up personal ownership. And he says, and every time you get angry about something, he says, what I want you to do is the moment you start to feel yourself, ask yourself the question, what right is causing me to feel that I have the right to be angry? And he says, every week we're going to have a meeting and we're going to talk about your rights. He said it was amazing. He says, three weeks later he said the family came in and they were laughing he said for three years he had tried to deal with it and had been unsuccessful he says in three weeks when the people when the people started to realize that that what it was he said all the bickering went away and in our homes folks a lot of times the bickering takes place because we think we have the right to whatever it is you need to remember that Jesus Christ gave up his right as the Son of God to come and die on a cross to cover our sins. We need to give up some of our rights, folks. We need to display the same kind of love that Jesus Christ showed for us to those in our families. To raise the bar in your home, it starts laying the right foundation. I suspect there's some of you that you probably need to get the jackhammer out and bust up the whole foundation that your um, home is built on. I, I suspect for other people, it just you probably just need to continue to lay a foundation. You know, you just need to build upon the foundation that you started. But I'm convinced this is where it all starts. Be imitators of God. And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Because see, you will find the love that you desire in your family. The moment you realize that every time you show love, you're offering up a sacrifice to God. It begins with me, and it begins with you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. 